It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. My guest is comedian Jackie Fabulous, who's headlining in the Comedy Cellar at the Rio All Suite Hotel and Casino through August 4th. For ticket information, go to Caesars.com. And for everything about Jackie Fabulous, go to JackieFabulous.com. And you can follow her on Twitter at Jackie Fabulous. Or I guess you, you, we could follow you in person, too, can't we, Jackie? Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. I think we could follow you in person, although that could be considered stalking, so probably it's easier through social media. Yeah, you know, it really just depends on whether I'm standing still. You, know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you have a very impressive resume for a comedian. And what I mean by that is that you originally decided to pursue the law and you became a lawyer. And then something kicked into your brain and you said, you know, I really need to go in a different direction. Could you explain that metamorphosis to us? I don't think it really was a metamorphosis. I think it was more of a. I think it, it was it, it kind of lay dormant inside of me. It was all always there, and it was just uh, I guess boredom. You know, I, I kept getting different jobs, trying different professions, and then I realized, wow, I probably need to figure out what what's wrong with me overall. Am I just bored or am I lonely? I just did it for fun. I didn't do it with any intention other than just something to do after work. There were no goals. It was, there were free drinks. A lot of uh, comedian friends around me. So it was atypical because most comedians that I talk with had a burning desire or at least a uh, need to perform early on, usually in, in elementary school or junior high, and then they took that and went on to pursue it professionally. But you clearly went a different direction initially and then, I guess, organically became a very funny comedian. You know, it's, um, I don't really have a plan. I did, I did not have a plan when I did it. It was really just, you know, I did open mics after work. You know, I, I had the hot boyfriend. I had the, 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 the great job, and I was healthy, or I am healthy. And I, I was just really bored day to day. I didn't know why. I was always funny, but I wasn't the class clown. So I wasn't obnoxious. I was just always, you know, I would have a funny quip or a funny way of looking at things, and they, people would turn to me for my funny outlook on stuff. But not even for performing as a child. Just I was only funny when I went to school. I wasn't funny at home. You know, my best friends knew I was funny. My classmates did. I kind of held it until I got to school. Maybe I was the school was my actual comedy club. <laughs> like maybe it's where I got the urge to hang out, places where people want to hear me make jokes on purpose or by accident. It's interesting because you said you weren't funny at home, so I would imagine the reaction of your mom to your decision to go into comedy was not, I would say, immediately accommodating. Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, yeah. I, a strict mother, strict mother and father, who they only care about education and getting a good job and retiring at that job. So, you know, I, my personality, to this day, my actual family does not really know about they, my mother saw me perform once years ago, and she was just more discouraged than anything. Didn't understand why I was doing it. So she probably doesn't understand, and maybe still does not get it. You know, maybe I got to become a huge star for her to be like, oh, maybe you are funny. 
<laughs> and the reason I mentioned your mom as opposed to mentioning your dad was because in your act, you talk a little bit about your mom. So that's why I, I led with that. So it's, it's interesting that both of them had the same worldview in terms of how what their children should do. And you were kind of counterintuitive in that sense, because you did follow that path. You became a lawyer. And then all of a sudden, well, not all of a sudden, but you then decide to go into, into the world of comedy. Yeah, I, I have the kind of parents that really, you know, they're Jamaican immigrants, so they're, my father passed away two years ago, so my mother and father at the time, they are, they're Jamaican immigrants. And, um, you know, the immigrant's way of life is, you know, we don't really do dreams. You need to dream about a job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Have to, fe- have to feed the family. Exactly. So they don't really understand. And they understand hobbies, because my father, he bowled and played cricket, and, you know, he did things after work. So he kind of understood having a hobby. But, you know, but he's not the kind of person who thought a hobby could become a professional endeavor. And my mom still doesn't, even though it's, it's all I do now to make a living. <laughs> right. Well, what, that's a great combination, bowling and cricket. I like that. Yeah. That's good. Is that a popular sport in Jamaica, cricket? Cricket is. Cricket is a very West Indian sport in English, so it's very, on that part of the world, it's a very popular with every Caribbean island, you know, Virgin Island is a very popular thing with right. everybody from an island. It's interesting, you were, well, you were raised in the Bronx, but you, you don't have any hint. I know you can do a Jamaican accent because you do in your act, but talking about your mom, but you don't have a, that accent when you're on stage or conversing with me right now. No, it's, it's really, I, I don't really have an accent so much. People are kind of shocked when they hear the Bronx because the, the there are certain cadences that people from the East Coast have that when I'm around my friend, usually I have to be around it for you to hear it. If I'm with my family, then maybe it might come out. If I'm with my, my girlfriends, then maybe the Bronx girl will come out. I don't I have a very indistinct accent. There's nothing here. It's just pretty much a maybe a female <laughs> if you listen closely. But no, you you really can't identify where I'm from. No, not at all. And in a way I think that works very well for you professionally because you can be a hit in the Midwest, and you could be a hit on the East Coast and the West Coast and globally because you're undefined. You're, you actually are the typical Southern Californian now. Oh, wow. What's what what a typical Southern Californian? Well, a typical, and I come from that area, so I can say this without retribution, okay. is that the, the L.A. accent, there is no accent from, from an L.A. point of view or Southern California point of view. Now, others may think there is one, but if you come from L.A., there really is no perceived accent. Okay, I'm thinking about it now. That makes total sense. Unless, unless you're a caricature, when then they call you Valley Girl. Yes, like, oh, okay. that, that is your. That there's nothing. You're absolutely right. That's a subset of the L.A. and Southern California accent. You're absolutely right. That the Valley Girl accent is so. Unfortunately, too many people have that now. Not just in the Valley; it's everywhere. And I have it too. Sometimes that's why it's sad. <laughs> <laughs> now, I wanted to hunt down this rumor and ask you. Is it true that you changed your name to Jackie from Absolutely? <laughs> no, no, no. All right. That, that, that sounds incorrect. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But Jackie Fabius is a great name, and also you're, you've branched out into so many areas, but let's focus for the moment on comedy. And as I mentioned earlier, and we'll mention again, the, you're going to be at the Comedy Cellar at the Rio through August the 4th. When you approached comedy professionally, you decide, this is what I'm going to do, and I will hang up my shingle facing towards the wall, so that way I'm not the lawyer for now, and I'm going to go out and perform. And, and you tour a lot. I don't know. You must have a lot of stamina. I don't think I could do it, but you're out there all the time. How did you organize 
your act or your approach? In other words, was it organic or did you structure it in a certain way? I structure my comedy to be relatable. Like that's my that's my number one concern. My number one goal is that everyone in the room, uh, from ages, you know, teenagers to elderly, I want them to be able to hear what I'm saying and not, you know, not know the color of my skin, not even know my gender sometimes. So I only if I make it relatable to humans, I I can go from, you know, El Paso, Texas to Atlanta, Georgia to New York, and flawlessly because I'm not talking about anything that's particular to a certain state really. I'll talk about my traveling, and people are always so curious about a comedian's life. So when I talk about, and I was in China one week, and then I was in Chicago the next, and what that was like, and what what I learned, what I saw, you know, they like to hear about the person who left a stable job. So how fascinating must it be to go from a cubicle or an office to seeing the world? And people are curious. The natural curiosity of people in general make it easy to transition from state to state or city to city or, you know, continent to continent. So I talk about people's experiences as a woman, as a woman over 40, as a black woman, as a single woman, dating woman, divorced woman, all the all the women's, you know, and, okay, <laughs> and, and my overall, my overall number one before relatability, I should say, is the women in the room. I go after the women. And I, my philosophy is that if I can get the women on board, then the rest of the show will go, will go swimmingly. So I, I kind of cater my comedy toward what a female goes through. And her husband or boyfriend is always sitting right there, or her girlfriends are right there, and they're always like, yep, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, and, and they my, could see that, the, that their date or their wife or their spouse or whoever it is with them, the guy is looking and seeing how they're reacting to you. And then he start, it starts to, I think, percolate in, their, in the guy's subconscious that, oh, yeah, I remember um, my wife or spouse did that at home, too. And they, yeah. get, they start to make the connections. Yeah, yeah, and I've gotten plenty of uh, feedback from men afterwards, and they're like, hey, I learned something. And I'm like, exactly. So That's why she brought you here. (laughs) And what's interesting about it is you make it look easy, which is because you're a professional, but it's clearly, as you said, thought out in terms of your approach, that you are taking the universal approach. They're not going to figure you out by accent, color, gender, or any other element that people love to kind of slice and dice, you are just relating as a human to humans. Yes, exactly. With a slight edge to the females because you got to get, as and rightly so, you got to get them going so that way everybody joins in. Yeah, and you know, most people who are at a comedy club, it's, the woman's usually the one who forced them to come. So that's why, and most audiences, in my experience, when I look out, is primarily female dominant. So, you know, why not cater to the people who pay them? who are the most adamant about, you know, making their social life be around stand-up. No, it makes perfect sense. When you first started out, did you have any, and I don't want to use the term role models, but people you looked at or studied for an approach, or how did you, I'm just fascinated by your approach, which I think is great in terms of universally relating to people. Did Did you look at certain comedians and take a little bit from this person, a little bit from that, and then really synthesize it into what you do. Oh, uh, yeah. My, my number one role model growing up was Eddie Murphy. He's my number one. And I think probably what I've taken from him is a lot of personal family stories with accents describing each person in the family. And I realized when I started doing my family's Jamaican accent and, you know, talking about what they, what they do to me, what they have done, or how they look at life, the audiences love to hear, for some reason, they love accents. I don't know what that's about. 
and they love they just love hearing the personal. Everyone wants to be a fly on someone else's wall, you know, at some point in their life. And when you get to when you when you're on stage talking about your family and how you grew up, the audiences want to hear about that. I think natural curiosity is what makes people have a good time. And Eddie Murphy, Wanda Sykes, is somebody I look up to because they they get really personal about their actual lives, and we find it funny. And they realize it's the more embarrassing it is, it's probably going to be hilarious one day. But you're clearly your own comedian. You're yeah. clearly your own approach. And what I like about that, I have had a lot of comedians on the show. What I like about an original comedian, I'll call it that way, is not necessarily authentic comedian per, per se as a term, but original comedian, that there are those comedians who are funny, but they're somewhat formulaic in their yeah. approach. And if you can become unique through your own natural approach, then that seems to me the best way to go, especially for a long career. I agree. I agree. That's, uh, with, and to, to mirror that, the part of, that's part of the reason why I don't watch, I don't really watch all the comedy specials that come out because there's a thousand of them now. And I realize that, that, that in the past, that has helped me. It hasn't helped me with my own vision. It's kind of clouded my vision. So I don't really watch all the specials that are out now because I, I know that my stand-up is not really a structured uh, setup, punchline, act-out, or whatever order you want to put it in. My jokes are more like, this is what happened to me last time on, on this date with a guy, and I'm going to tell you exactly what happened, even if it doesn't make me look favorable at the end, and then I'm going to tell you how I reacted to it. And that, usually the truth, all of my comedy, probably a 99.9% truth, I just tell people what happened to me, and that makes it so that there's no competition, there's no mimicking, there's no she sounds like, or where did she get that joke from? Because I talk about what happens to me in, in actuality. But the skill and talent is in, when you're talking about what happened to you, that it comes across as both real and funny. Yes, that, that, that takes a long time. It's, I think uh, a lot of veteran comics tell me it takes 10 years to find your voice, and I've been doing it for about 13, a little more than that now, and I realize that it takes so much time to just to get stage time. Oh yeah, you almost absolutely. Don't work. You, you can't work equally as hard on the set, and then when the set comes in and the stage time meets, it takes about ten years. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, you yeah. said thirteen, which means you're now you're pretty much in time for a comedy bat mitzvah. So we'll work on that. <laughs> let's take, let's take a break. My guest comedian Jackie Fabulous is headlining in the Comedy Cellar at the Rio All Suite Hotel and Casino through August fourth. For ticket information, go to Caesars.com. And for everything about Jackie Fabulous, go to JackieFabulous.com. And you can follow her on Twitter at Jackie Fabulous and also Facebook and probably 9 million other places. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more Talk About Las Vegas with Ira in just a moment. There's something new at the Neon Museum. The emerging technology of light mapping brings old signs back to life. Forgotten artifacts of our past that once blazed in the Las Vegas night are reanimated in a dazzling immersion of sight and sound. You've never seen anything like it because there's never been anything like it. Brilliant, a Neon Museum experience. Performances nightly. Join the experience now at neonmuseum.org. Now, let's get back to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Welcome back. I'm talking with comedian Jackie Fabulous. She's headlining in the Comedy Cellar at the Rio All Suite Hotel and Casino through August 4th. For ticket information, go to Caesars.com. And for everything 
about Jackie Fabulous, go to JackieFabulous.com and follow her on Twitter at Jackie Fabulous. I've seen you on various interviews. Clearly, the format of the show dictates your presentation, your personality, how you're going to deal with the people. So you could be totally funny in a morning radio kind of thing, and you could also be, as you are here with me, just very nicely conversational, and you don't feel you have to perform. Yeah, that's a, I guess that's one of, if I had any attributes, I would say that's probably, that helped my, what, if you want to call it success, is that I know how to, I kind of treat everyone like they're the same. Once again, the, the relatability, and I don't, um, when I talk to people, it, it has to be conversational, otherwise, that's probably why I didn't do well with a structured nine to five corporate life. Yes, yes, is exactly. You, you got to kind of be a certain, have a certain demeanor and decorum all the time. And when I became a comic, I realized that most of that time is wasted. People want to be silly and they want to laugh. And, you know, you can have class, but you also can't be a complete bore. Right. And I guess the, old, the older I got, the more I'm like, if I exude, if I exude uh, an actual interest in what you're saying to me, it will come across joyfully because I'm like, oh, this person is actually interesting because they, they get it. You don't have to be a stick in the mud to get t- to take care of business or to talk to a woman now that we're so sensitive. You know, we all can kind of still relax if we, if we know we just want to have a good time at the end of the story. Yeah, makes perfect sense. You also, I alluded to it earlier on, you are spreading your wings, so to speak, or going in different directions as well. So in addition to your stand-up comedy, you also give motivational speeches. Yeah, actually, right after my uh, my sets at the cellar that end August 4th, August 5th and 6th, I'm going to be over at the MGM Grand Hotel in Vegas doing two breakout speeches for the Women's Leadership Conference uh, at the MGM. So everyone can go to JackieFabulous.com and scroll down if you want to register. It's women from all over the country, business, entertainment, role models, politicians. And I'm going to have, a, I guess, a motivational type of show speech twice for the ladies on on August 6th. And uh, yeah, I've always, that's been a backdoor, a backseat goal I've always had where I want to, you know, I guess be a black female Tony Robbins. A black female female funny Tony Robbins. I would love to do that. That's a great analogy. (laughs) (laughs) And definitely the funny part added to that, yes. (laughs) You need the funny. I think you get the message better if you're funny. (laughs) Exactly. How long ago did you start that road? In other words, that you realized that you could have an impact on people and that, I guess, originally through your comedy, people became aware of you and then thought, oh, she does motivational speeches and you started to work in that, in that area. But how did you decide that you wanted to do that? Was it a couple of years ago or just recently? Uh, it was probably, I would say about five years ago, I started to just look into how I could book my own speaking gigs. And I, I would ask for favors. I'd find friends who work for schools or organizations, and if they had a meeting or a conference or a picnic, and they wanted someone to come talk to their employees, and I I just put the feelers out by asking my friends for favors, and that turned into word of mouth. And stand-up comedy always took over, but I always I I put the feelers out for real, like maybe a, a year or two ago. A girlfriend of mine wanted to collaborate. And I realized that I don't, you know, I, I don't have to collaborate. I can do this on my own. So I put, I just put confidence in myself and decided people after my show, women in particular, have been like, you know, you made me laugh. I had a really rough day. I'm so happy to hear someone who chose a new endeavor at the age you did. And I was already motivating them, but it was, it was punchline driven. Right. So I'm like, well, right. why not speak professionally 
And as I hear, it pays way better to stand up. So what the hell? <laughs> right, exactly. And you don't get any cigarette smoke in your nose. No, no. Yeah. You, you, you feel clean when you leave. It's very <laughs> rare for Vegas. <laughs> if you look back, how long have you been coming to Vegas since you've been performing in comedy? Has it been five years or less or more? Wow, that's a good question. I would say probably a solid six five or six years. Yeah, that's great. In the last three, I'm in Vegas all the time, at least once every other month for a, you know, a week or so. So Vegas, I discovered Vegas through an ex-boyfriend who was a, a professional poker player, and I would follow him just to hang out in Vegas. And I was all, I'd always wonder what it would be like to work here or to work there. And now that I've done it, it feels like it's another, another I always drive. I never, I never fly. I love the four-hour drive down and the four-hour drive back. Something about Vegas is, is cathartic for me because it's so easy to get to. I, uh, it's fun I d- when you get there. It is. But the fact that you actually enjoy that four-hour drive, there's definitely... I love it. There, <laughs> you don't like it? No, I hate it. I absolutely... I, I, go, I go from... When I'm going down to Los Angeles, I go from Las Vegas and I skip most of it and stop at Victorville and then I go from there into Los Angeles and then the same way coming back there's just something about hour after hour of brown desert that I just can't <laughs> You got to get yourself the right audiobooks by the time I get when I do my Vegas trips I've listened to five audiobooks I'm so enlightened it's, it's crazy <laughs> That's a great idea I didn't think about that cuz the radio obviously goes out most of the time anyway when you're in the middle of nowhere but exactly. yeah I love that audio All right I will try that I appreciate that <laughs> Now I noticed something on that was on YouTube that referenced a show and I w- could you let me know if that is a ongoing project or something that you were experimenting with and that had to do with your I'll, I'll paraphrase the title but it was basically you're exploring America Oh, okay, yeah. So that was a that was a pilot reel, a reel for a pilot that the production company that currently produces Property Brothers and all the other wonderful shows on HGTV, their production company hit me up and said, "Hey, we want to you know try and do a show with you." So that was the attempt. They had some network interested, but it didn't pan out like like most pilots for most entertainers uh, not do or don't do or do. So that was just something that was a project, but they let me have it on my YouTube and it's. I, I I like watching because I'm like the show would have been hilarious and I, I love watching the real because I had such, so much fun. Yeah, I like the concept of you going to different cities or towns and getting to meet the people there and then actually having some experiences with them over a 24 hour period. I thought that was a great concept. Yeah, and I love how it was. I got to meet a lot of friends very quickly and then quickly get torn away from the family. It was kind of sad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the the only part of it that was got me a little queasy as it did you was the tarantula. So I'll leave it at that. But you can find oh, that on yeah. YouTube. Well, so imagine how I felt. I'll yeah, say, if I had known this was part of this, I would never have said yes. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you juggle your time, Jackie, in between your performing, obviously all over the country and around the world, on the stand-up comedy side of it, then you're also doing motivational speeches, then you're also writing books, and you're also doing a million other things. So how do, I'm always intrigued by people that can do that many things. How do you balance it so you don't exhaust yourself? Well, honestly, I'm, I'm probably blessed in a weird way. I don't have any children. You know, I date, but I don't have a serious fiancé or husband around. So I have, whenever I'm not working, I have the time to write because I, you know, I want to, I'm at the place in my life now where I want to take over financially, and help help my mother and my aunt and my sister, the three women, my, my, my last remaining living immediate family. 
And I want to, you know, I'm kind of chasing bigger opportunities now. So I know I got to kind of sacrifice free time. And when I have free time, I just sleep. I sleep, I get a massage, but then I, I actually don't look at stand-up as work. It so doesn't feel like work that it doesn't tire me out. Like once I finish a show and get off stage, when I go to bed for those eight hours afterwards, I'm, I'm replenished and I can't wait to get back on stage. It's the endorphins really keep the fatigue down or, or from existing because you don't realize you're working and you actually are unhappy if you're not getting ready to get on stage at least, you know, four or five, six times a week. Similar to exercise in that sense, if you're not doing it regularly, you miss it because the endorphins are going in. You just feel uh, you have a much more of a sense of well-being. Yeah, we, it's kind of like a very legal high. You, you <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> any entertainment where you you're, get the feedback is immediate, and you and you're used to like every now and then I'm like you realize that I get a I get applause daily. Most people will never have a room full of people clap for them ever while they are on this planet. And I'm, and it's a daily thing for me. And that kind of that when you have the last, you know, a, a good chunk of your adult life being used to being cheered for, it's impossible to come down from that. And then you realize I don't want to come down from that. I'd rather just die this way. If I die, never becoming a rich and famous comedian, but I'm still a comedian. I'm, I still made it. I still accomplished my number one goal, where I get paid to do what I do, whether I get paid a lot or a little. It's still validation that I'm a professional comic and. You know, that's what it is now. What you just said was insightful because of this reason. I've had many comedians on, and they talk about the need to perform, but their need seems to be more stemming from a neurosis rather than from a more healthy viewpoint. I think yours is more healthy, the way you presented it, which is, gee, you get applause every night. You know, the average person doesn't get any applause anywhere in their lifetime. And why not do it? It's not like you're killing people. Well, you are with yeah. comedy, but you're not literally killing people. Exactly. I feel like I'm contributing to society. This is actually a service, you know, where, and I, I did it for years without getting paid. And when you realize that people are walking in either skeptical or no knowledge at all about who you are, and then they, you watch them uh, bend over in their chairs, grabbing a tissue, you know, spitting up their drink. I had, women, <laughs> I had, I had women fall out of a chair. I had people walk <laughs> almost faint and i'm like one person almost choked on their food so i'm like you realize that's a power and it's a good thing people get they forget their problems for for five minutes to 45 minutes <laughs> that's right how is that not a wonderful thing no no it is you know i just thought of something before i let you go and, and i suppose most people bring it up all the time but i i just to kind of cap it off how impactful was your appearance on america got talent in other words did it boost your career did it just keep it at a certain level or What's your what was your take on that? I say it helped my social media a lot. It kind of it was it was my debut into the into the world because of the internet. So it it helped my social media numbers a lot. It helped me, I guess, get uh, like I was in a place where I was headlining around the world anyway. But sometimes if a club didn't know of me, I had to send them a lot of videos. I had to get a referral or a voucher from someone. And being on national primetime television, that's the last voucher any comedian needs for life like like if god forbid i'm never on the show again and i i can milk this one thing that you guys saw for at least a couple of years if i don't if i don't parlay into anything else because everyone's like jack you i didn't know because i didn't watch the show a lot before being on it so like my friends and colleagues are like do you realize that this show is it couldn't be bigger it's impossible for it to be larger and i'm like oh okay if you say so (laughs) 
Well, I think it's this generation's Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. If you appeared on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson as a comedian, oh. you were set with your career. If you, had, if you were working in the clubs but had not been on the show and then you're on the show, then all of a sudden yeah. you're set. Yeah, I, I, good comparison. Yeah, I like your approach, though, which is clearly you were performing and working anyway, and this helped raise your profile, and you could use it for a, your promo reel and get it to the clubs. But you obviously have, as I mentioned earlier, spreading out and doing all these different things. And hopefully you'll support me as well as your mother and your aunt and all those other people, <laughs> if you don't mind. I mean, I really Not appreciate it. Not at all. It. Anyone who supported me will get some sort of support back. <laughs> okay, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> well, that's a great way to end up. My guest has been comedian Jackie Fabulous. She's headlining in the Comedy Cellar at the Real All Suite Hotel and Casino through August 4th. For ticket information, go to Caesars.com. And for everything about Jackie Fabulous, go to JackieFabulous.com. Check out her motivational speaking as well. And follow her on Twitter at Jackie Fabulous. And Jackie, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. So I had a great time. Thank you. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Yeah,